May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Advent, we celebrate the coming of God, the coming of God in Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ again in power at the end of, the, at the end of time, and also the coming of God at other times in our history. The Old Testament and Gospel lesson for today are about other times when God came into history. And uh, the lesson I want to draw from them is that being connect, living in connection with God is not just about personal spirituality and morality. There's also a big picture, picture, sometimes a political dimension to being connected to God. Uh, the Old Testament lesson, Isaiah 40, is the beginning of what's often called the second Isaiah. This is a prophet in the tradition of Isaiah, who probably lived about 150 years after the death of Isaiah, son of Amos. Um, and uh, during Isaiah, son of Amos's time, he and other prophets were telling the people, you know, you've got to worship the real God, you've got to practice social justice. If not, you're going to be punished. And as you know, in the end, uh, the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom uh, fell to outside conquerors. Uh, Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon. And most of the people in Jerusalem were carried off as captives to Babylon. So now uh, something new has happened. The Persian Empire has conquered the Babylonian Empire, a big change in the world. And um, the Persian policy toward conquered peoples was to let them go back to their lands. So second Isaiah says, this is God moving. God chose Cyrus, the Persian empire. He doesn't know who, what the name of God, but God chose that, that emperor to uh, help to liberate his people. We've served our time. Now God is allowing us to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild a, the city and to rebuild the temple. He also has really it's, his oracles are magnificent poetry. Handel took much of the Messiah from Second Isaiah. And so he, he, he imagines, he prophesies that beyond just building the temple, there will be a time of peace and prosperity and uh, a deep spiritual connection to God like never before. These are, these are a lot of it is our, our idea of what the Messiah was about. Well, 43,000, according to Ezra, the historical biblical book of Ezra, it comes right after Chronicles. Um, and Ezra says that he, he tells all about all the people who decided to go to Jerusalem. 43,000 families um, packed up all their things and their livestock and joined a great caravan back to the rubble of Jerusalem to try to rebuild the capital 
and um, the temple. Uh, the distance is about uh, the same as the distance from here to Nashville. And presumably most of them walked. And then they spent the rest of their lives rebuilding the walls. That was first they had to build the walls to protect themselves. Uh, rebuilding the temple was really the most important part. That's, they focused on that as soon as they could. Uh, these people went through a lot of sacrifice, um, danger. And what most uh, strikes me is that they had kids to feed and take care of. You know, they had their own lives to lead. They had to make a living. While they were rebuilding the capital of, of the, uh, and rebuilding the temple, they had, to, they had to somehow make a living, and it wasn't easy. Um, but their, their connection to the God who moves in history, our God, also gave a history-shaping dimension to their life with God. Then the, the, the gospel lesson comes about 500 years later. Um, and it's uh, Mark calling the nation to repentance and saying, look out, the Messiah is coming very soon. The dominant political reality of Jesus' time was the Roman Empire and their uh, really exploitative taxes. They extracted heavy taxes from the peasantry, from the common people. And the Sanhedrin and the religious leadership was, had made their peace with the Romans. They cooperated with the Romans. Uh, so John and later Jesus called the religious leaders vipers because they taught a strict kind of um, religious, religious observance but they took money away from poor widows. I used to think, until I was preparing the sermon, I, I kind of imagined that John was about two hours outside Jerusalem, out in the wilderness. But he was at the Jordan River, and when I, I used Google Maps, <laughs> and it's, it's at least a 10-hour walk from Jerusalem to the closest place on the Jordan River. So the people who went out to be baptized by John were not tourists. They, they, they went there because they wanted big change in their lives. They wanted a big change in their society and the way the world was working. Um, um, some of those people then followed Jesus. You know, he said, look out, the Messiah is coming. And so we know some of the, of the disciples of John then, after the death of John, they followed Jesus. I think some may have been in the crowd when Jesus entered Jerusalem to confront the Sanhedrin and confront Pontius Pilate. And then we know that some of, the, some of them became, were among the first Christians. Um, so these were people who experienced the, among the first people who experienced living with the risen Lord and having this gospel of God's great, grace, grace and forgiveness for everybody in the world. It was a new, new kind of life and the beginning of an era. And those people who went out into the wilderness 
to be baptized by this prophet, John, they, they helped to make it happen. Now, what do we think are the ways that God is coming, moving in our own history? When you pray about our country and the world, how do you pray that God will intervene? I'd like to focus on uh, the complex of problems that uh, afflict our nation and the world. In my mind, um, a really big one is the, the, the hostile and disruptive political attitudes of many Americans. Makes it hard to get anything done or anything good. And then I think we waited way too long to deal with climate change. And now our nation is engaged in two big wars. But you might have a different list. I'm a pretty liberal guy. If you're a conservative person, you know, you might put at the top of the list, uh, the you know, all these migrants coming across the border. Or you might put, put at the top of your list, uh, um, that things aren't the way they used to be, and that people don't have any respect for their threats to marriage, threats to life. But what we, almost all Americans agree is, is that we have some big problems, that we're not on the right track. And I think uh, Second Isaiah or John would uh, say, God is calling us, you, God is calling us uh, to help solve these problems, to step up and help solve these problems. There are things that we can do as individuals. I think one of the most important may be seeking out people who disagree violently with us <laughs> on politics and trying to, finding a way to listen and sharing what we think, how we see things, but mainly listen, listen to try to bridge the divide. Uh, we also, in our democracy, have, all of us have the power to influence elections. Who will, who will lead our country for the next two, four, six, eight years? Um, the elections of next November will be exceptionally consequential. And I think it's incumbent on each of us to pick a candidate or a few candidates who are people who are consistent with our values and uh, give them time, votes, our vote, maybe the votes of a few friends and family members who respect our judgment, uh, and also give them money. Money is the controversial part. I don't quite get it, but um, campaigns uh, have to report the names of people who give more than $200 so we can see that less than 1% of all Americans give any money to candidates or parties or PACs. Less than 1% of us give anything. And so we leave it to a relatively small number of very wealthy people and corporations to fund the process by which we pick our, le our political leadership. I think this is a significant stewardship mistake. So um, 
I give much more money to candidates than I used to do, and in 2024, I'm going to double it because I think 2024 is a, a year of turning, and I want to do my part. Uh, Isaiah, the Isaiah passage, and then uh, the gospel lesson are both clear, as is the whole scripture, that our God moves in history always on the side of hope for humanity. Even in the darkest time, we pray to our God in hope. And God invites us to help bring in the kingdom. Amen.